We're excited uh, about our time together this morning. I'm really excited about this passage uh, because we're in the book of, of John, really diving in, drilling down on uh, chapters 12 through 17. And uh, specifically, uh, this text today, because not only does this passage inspire uh, the name of our series, Greater, um, but it really has given life, well, not just life, but given name to our, our church, LifePoint. And we'll see that when we, uh, when we look at the, the passage together uh, this morning. But um, as we kind of open up, I wanted to uh, kind of, I guess, il- open up our time illustrating uh, this this morning's topic by telling you a little bit of kind of what's going on in the life of my family. Uh, over the last, I guess, two weekends ago, we, we had an opportunity. We're part of Grace Marriage alongside of most of you or a lot of you. Um, there, I think there's over 250 couples involved in it. Uh, thank the Lord for that. Um, really, we were talking in our group about just the reach that that could be through something like that, that God does something in the marriages and the kids that are caught up in that, and students that are caught up in that, and the neighbors and workplaces that are caught up in the potential reach of what happens in a marriage. And so uh, our family's a part of that as well. And two weekends ago, we were able to go uh, to our first session of that. Um, and, uh, and my wife probably thinks we need eight sessions of it, but uh, we, we went to our first and it was, uh, man, it was, I'll be honest with you, moving, moving towards that day, I was thinking, man, well, how can I finagle to get out of this thing, right? Like, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm like coughing, I'm sick, I'm feeling good. Uh, when, you know, when I think about eight hours of, man, just isolated confinement, just talking about my insecurities and vulnerabilities and failures as a husband, there's a lot of names I would give that, but not grace, right? Uh, that is not something I look forward to. Uh, but uh, on the backside of this, before you start um, crucifying me, uh, I, it was enjoyable. It was, it was awesome. It was a great time. And we, we got to talk about a lot of things. Tiffany got to remind me of all the things she loves about me. Uh, and uh, and uh, I got to remember, uh, you know, just I started to think about how, you know, you know how we met each other and all the, the things that kind of uh, attracted one another to each other and the things that we, uh, you, you know, like, the, the people that in, uh, introduced each other, uh, all the things that just kind of went into we, we meeting each other, right? And I remember like meeting her I- at UT uh, and, you know, just, just, just the things that like uh, that maybe made her fall head over heels in love with me. And, uh, and, you know, it was a great time. It was a great time. I was like, Come on, there's more of that, you know. And so, anyway, we had a good time. But one of the things that that happened over the weekend was we got to kind of think about the promises that we made to one another, right? We got to kind of reflect on those promises and uh, and really just our the day of our wedding. Now, some of you uh, remember your wedding. Some of you it happened so long ago you've forgotten. Uh, but the uh, you know so our wedding. If you know anything about weddings, the day of is amazing. Right? It, it's like, I still look back on it. It was one of the funnest days of my life, but the run-up was one of the most stressful ever, right? And, and I think every couple probably goes into, uh, you know, planning their marriage saying, we're not going to make a big deal of this. It's going to be really low-key. Next thing you know, you got 200 people there, and, you know, there's, it's a, it's a big ordeal. Uh, and I just remember, like, that's kind of how we went into it. Like, well, it's going to be really chill. A couple hundred, you know, a couple, couple people ended up to a couple hundred people, and we're getting fights over hydrangeas. I don't even know what that is. Uh, you know, you got guest lists. It's like, you got to make the decision, like, who your bros are. It's going to stand next to you. You're like, you know, having to sever ties with somebody because they got their feelings hurt. You get to put them on the front row so they feel included, and all this kind of stuff, right? It's just, it's crazy, man. Like, the, the wedding, uh, 
uh, really, the, the, the wedding is a beautiful thing uh, that the Lord instituted. Uh, he, get, he gave to us. But man, we've hijacked it in a lot of ways. And it, it can be one of the craziest, chaotic things that happens in the life of a couple. In fact, a lot of the couples that I, I get to talk with, that I do their weddings, one of the things I always remind them, and I tell them, like, listen, breathe today. Right? Open your eyes and take this in. This is only going to happen once. Uh, this, is a, this is a good thing. This is an exciting thing. Who cares if the flowers show up? If the menu and venue doesn't work out, it's going to be all right. We're going to get to the altar, and it's gonna, this is what it's about. Right? But the day does its best to distract us, I think, from the moment that the whole thing's for. Right? The day that you stand uh, together before, before the Lord and make some promises to one another. Right, that, that's what the whole thing's about. Now, now, you know, I, I remember like having to watch like every episode to say yes to the dress and, and it, you know, going to all this stuff, man. It was, you know, getting, getting in arguments over, you know, what kind of tablecloths we got. I don't even care if we have a tablecloth, you know. It, 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 but it's still like the day does its best to try to distract from the point of the whole thing. And, you know, in, in a lot of ways, I think the same can be said about our lives, and, and specifically our, our spiritual lives. You know, God has made some promises to us as believers, but life many times aims at distracting us from those things, doesn't it? Right? Like, God has given us promises, promises that, I think back on the promises of my marriage, and it's the promises that have sustained us at this point, I promise you. Like, like my wife, if it wasn't for her great memory of the promise I made eight years ago, there's no way that I'd be here today, right? Thank the Lord for promises. And Lord, the Lord has given us promises that are aimed at sustaining us and keeping us to the day that we are with him in glory for those who know him. Right? But life, I think the chaos of it, this the craziness and, and the, the calamity of our lives a lot of times can distract us from the promises of the Lord. You know, whether it's the stress of work, you got some health concerns going on in your family, some of you it's financial stress or it's career problems, maybe you're just in a difficult space in your life right now, you're worried about your, you know, if you're gonna find someone to share life with, your, your kids are off the rockers, like whatever the case is, right? Life does its best to clap back and make us forget the promises that God has made for us. And, and this morning, one of the things that we, we think, the thing we want you to leave with this morning, remembering, is that God's promises, what he says of us, what he has promised to us is greater than our earthly problems, right? God's promises are greater than our problems. And, and this is what we're going to see kind of happen in John 14 this morning. God has made some promises. He's going to make some promises to the disciples. But because of what's happening in their lives, they had taken their eyes off of those things. And what Jesus is going to do gently in the midst of questioning and unbelief is he's going to lift their eyes up. See these things that I've promised you. And so that's kind of where we're going. For those of you that... Or maybe uh, you're, you're here and you're like, man, I, I'm type A. i got to have an outline. The outline today, the three promises that Jesus is going to give us is that Jesus has promised us. He has promised us a, a place. He's promised us a home. He's promised us a path, a way to get there. And he's promised us a power that's going to be with us, a helper to be with us in the middle of the trials, in the middle of the hardship, until that day comes. Okay? Now, the, the disciples are going to need this because uh, things in their life are chaotic at this point. Okay? Let me help you kind of get this picture. I want to paint this for you a little bit. We're in the last 48 hours of Jesus' life. 
Okay, the last 48 hours, they're in the upper room, uh, the 11 disciples in Christ, and, and, you know, Judas is probably out right now going and making arrangements for the betrayal of, of, of Christ to, to have him delivered over to be crucified. Jesus uh, is, is with them in the upper room, and he's been doing some teaching. Remember, they've, they've been with him for the last three years, and they've seen his miracles. They've seen his, uh, they've been, like, they've received his teaching. They've, they've, they've seen him healing and doing life with them. These disciples, if you remember, they've left everything to follow him, right? That's what Jesus calls us to, even today. If you're in here and Jesus has called you, He's given you life. He's called you to, to cut ties with everything else and to serve him alone, right? Christ alone. They left their homes. They left family. They left securities. They left what they knew. They left relationships. You know, in this time uh, in the world, if your father was a fisher, you became a fisher. If you a carpenter, you became a carpenter. So they left secession plans. They had this, probably their life mapped out before this Man from, from Nazareth comes scrolling through, strolling through town and tells them to drop their nets. Right? And they left everything. For the last three years, they have been on the front row. So you had this very unique vantage point to the life, the, 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 the ministry of Jesus. Really, they've had this unique vantage point to the deity of Christ. They've seen him do in, in amazing things that every one of us would, would love to see kind of unfold before our eyes. And I think by this point, they're, they're absolutely uh, sure. If there, there may be a little doubt in a few, but they're, they're sure that this, he is truly who he has said he is. I want you to think about it. I mean, they've watched Jesus feed thousands on a Lunchable. Right? Like, like he, he, he stopped a storm and he told a dead man, you can't be dead any longer. Right? Like, I think that would be enough for us. A few days ago, you think about it, they're pumped watching Jesus ride in on a donkey and people are throwing palm leaves in front of him and, and shouting and, and, and praising him. They're celebrating him and they're thinking, man, things are going great. We got this guy on our side. And then in these last 48 hours, things are going to spiral out of control, right? You think about it. In the upper room, you have Jesus, the highest of high, taking on a task that was reserved for the lowest of low. That alone would have been culture shock to them, right? One that Philippians says, to Jesus' name, every knee will bow, is literally bowing, washing feet, they're stunned by that one act alone, but then to make things worse, around that same table, he tells them that there's someone here that is going to betray me. And then Peter steps up, and he shuts that up quick, and he says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the sun comes up. And so can you imagine, like, the feel in that room? Like the energy in that room that would have been, man, a very positive thing. We're dining, you know, with, with Jesus. And then he kneels down, begins to wash their feet, and begins to start having com- talking about betrayal and denial, and now his death. Right? Things are getting weird right now. And, and you can imagine that the, the, the disciples maybe are, are beginning to panic right now. Here's this guy that they've literally left everything for who's now going to begin talking about his death. And so from this point forward, the, the events are really going to begin to shake them. The disciples uh, are sitting there with Jesus, and he, he kind of caps the night off by saying uh, that he's about to leave. And by the way, you're not coming with. 
So again, I just want to make sure contextually we, we get this, that we feel what was happening in that room. Because if you feel that right now, if you can put yourself in that place, the promises that we're going to, 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 to get from Christ today. It, maybe you're in the room and you say, Man, my life is in a very similar place. Right? Again, like you, you just got back from a hospital visit and, you know, a checkup and you got bad news. Right? You're, you're home. You, you walk by on your way uh, getting ready to, to leave for church this morning. You walk by a, a doorway to a bedroom that was previously occupied by somebody you love that's no longer with you. And you were confronted by that memory. Maybe some of you are struggling again this morning with infertility or, or you know, financial strain or whatever. These are real things. I want to I make sure that I, I don't blow over that. Because we're going to say things like Jesus', prom, Jesus promises are greater than your problems. But, but I'm not trying to belittle those problems and make them feel as though they're not real and weighty. Because they are. And, and I'm going to preach the next however long and pray and then you're going to go back to those problems. It, it, but what Jesus is going to show us are, are three promises that really are, are not going to, to improve our problems, but to, while we walk in the problems, give us a promise to hold on to, a hope to anchor to, something that's, that's going to sustain us. And so if you have your Bible with you, uh, please open for John 14, verse 1 through three. We're going to open up with this and then we'll pause and let the Lord lead us. It says this, let not your hearts be troubled. So to a chaotic night panicking disciple band, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I w- uh, yeah, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. I would not have told you I would go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So Jesus, the first promise he gives us is a promise of a place. He says to these disciples who are scared and confused, let not your hearts be troubled. Now this word troubled is the same word he uses earlier in John to describe the, uh, a stormy, stirred up sea. If you remember Jesus uh, earlier, he said of himself that his own heart was troubled. So, so what Jesus is doing here and what John is in this thing is he's saying that the hearts of these disciples are stirred up by anxiety. And again, you've walked in here. I think every one of us was something that stirred you up this morning. Or maybe for this last season of your life. There's something that's probably occupies a large amount of your thought capacity. There's, there's something that, that's got your heart gripped. There's something that's got you stirred up this morning. And Jesus is going to speak to, to you if you know Christ, and he's going to say, let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be stirred up. And what's he say? Believe in God. Believe also in me. And the promise that he leaves for us is a place. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And again, in chapter 13, the Last Supper, Jesus told of himself that he, his heart was troubled. Now, I think that's super encouraging for us because I think sometimes we can maybe believe this idea about God that's not true, that he is detached and distant from you. I want you to understand something this morning. Hebrews says that we serve a high priest, Christ, who uh, not only is currently making intercession for you, but is one who is sympathetic to you. He, he was tempted in every way that you were, yet without sin— our, 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 our high priest, Jesus, not only gets you this morning, but he knows everything you're walking through. 
Man, I think there's someone in here that maybe needs to hear that this morning because you think that you come here, but it's like Jesus is there, but I'm here. It's different, Matt. He doesn't get it, right? The times are different. But I wonder if you knew that not only does Jesus get it, but later on in this text, he's going to say, I'm going to be in it with you. Right, man, it's, it's comforting to me to know that it testifies to the humanity of Christ, that he too, as Isaiah said, was despised and rejected, acquainted with grief. Jesus tells us that in the world, we're going to have trouble. He knew that there's going to be time when life hits us in the mouth. Right, and any of you that are in here and you've come to Christ, you need to know. I don't know who's told you this before, that if you thought, man, I'm coming to this thing and things are going to get better for me, the promise of the scripture is actually the opposite. Right? Jesus is going to say in his high priestly prayer before he dies that the world's going to hate them because of me. Okay? Uh, the rest of the epistles, there's promise of suffering and persecution coming for, for believers. Now, it happens in different degrees and levels, but if you think that coming to this thing, things are going to improve for you, you've been sold a lie. The, the, the truth of the scripture is not that things are going to get better. It's that as we walk through hell, heaven's going to be with us. So he leaves his disciples in us this morning with, again, some promises. You know, when he says uh, in verse 2 there, he says, In my Father's house are many rooms. That word room is the noun form of the verb abide that he'll use in, uh, in John 15 when he says, Abide in me and I will abide in you also. What, he, what he's saying is it, that, that the heaven, this place that he's, he's creating for us, it's, it's not that you're going to get some mansion with magnolia treatment on it, right? You're going to sh- shiplap on, your, uh, on your, like, your penthouse suite. That's not what's coming for you. What he says here, if you think about it, if the noun form of the verb abide is the place that he's creating for us, then what it is, the prize that we're getting at the end of the road, for those of us, again, this isn't for everybody. This is for those who have bowed their knee to Jesus Christ. Christ by faith as your Lord and Savior. If that's you in the room, what's coming for you isn't some penthouse suite, but it is that you get to dwell with Christ. It's an abiding, a, a continual dwelling with, with Jesus. He's talking about a home with himself. That's what I love. He says that I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to what? Myself. So he said, that's what's coming. It, so, so if you're in this and you're like, man, I'm just, I'm just in this for the accolades at the end of the road. If you're not in this for Jesus, you're not going to like heaven. It's all about Christ. Everything about this, the, the word of God, everything about Christianity points to Jesus. He is the prize at the end. He is home. He says, if I go to prepare a place, I'm coming back for you. What an encouragement that is for those of us in the room with troubled souls this morning. There's nothing that you can be drugged through. There's nothing that you can walk in this morning. There's not any trouble that is very present and heavy and weighty to you that uh, trumps what is coming. When your life is in chaos and you're wondering what's real and really what to make of all of this, Jesus wants you to understand that there's a promise of a place for you. There's a place coming. I think it's also an encouragement to us and, a, and really a challenge to us that when things get hard, let's not be surprised by that. 
right? The, the fact that we have a place, a home that's coming should, in fact, challenge us to understand that we should not feel at home here, right? The, the scripture would call us alien. We are sojourners passing through. This is not it, right? But what happens is that if you, if this is it for you, Right? If this is all, like, if this is where joy and satisfaction is found in your career or in your, uh, your address or in your family unit, if this is the, the total, like, summation of joy and, and satisfaction for you, then, then what, we ha- what happens is we begin to lower our, our eyes off those promises. And when this is affected, then your world spirals out of control. Then there's no hope. But Jesus says, if there's a, there's a home, there's a place he's creating for us, that he's preparing for us. So he promises us uh, a place, but he also promises them a path to get there. Let's, let's look at this together. John 14, 4 through 7. It says, and you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way. And the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do, not, uh, you do know him and have seen him. So what Jesus says right here is not only have I created a, a place for you, but I have a way for you to get there. There's a path for you. This statement, you got to understand the gravity of what's just said. This statement is perhaps the most controversial statement that was ever uttered by man. Right? But in it is also one of the greatest promises that ever, a man has ever received. So what Jesus just did was he gave us this incredible promise for our souls to be anchored to. Jesus just promised not only a place, but a way to get there. And I think that's so important because Thomas said a, said some, asked a question of Jesus that I think all of us at some place in our lives and somewhere in our lives are asking. He says, how do we get there? And the reason I want to pause there for a moment is because I think everyone in this room is asking that question at some time or some way in your life today. Even believers. You see, for those that don't know Christ in the room, you might believe that, uh, that, that the, way, the, way, the way there is through a, a relationship. Or it's through some career that you're pursuing. Or it's through uh, some, some drug. Or it's through some addiction. Or it's through some experience. Or it's through something. And you keep exhausting that way thinking that that's going to be it, right? That's going to be how, that, thank you so much. That's how you're going to get home. Forgive me. I can wave that in a minute. Here we go. All right. Uh, listen, and you're going to, th- and, and there's so many people I, I think that, uh, they think that the way home is through these things. But here's what Jesus is going to say for those in the room that don't know him. And even for those of us, see, the gospel is not just for the, the non-believer in the room. Right? The gospel is not just the doorway into relationship with Jesus. The gospel is something even believers need to be reminded of over and over and over as a recalibration to what is true. Because there's so many times, even in my life as someone who's followed Jesus for several years now, that, that the Lord, uh, there's times I take my eyes off of, of what is true, off of these promises of God, that he is my joy, that he is my satisfaction. There's a home coming for me, and I begin to look for it in other things. See, Jesus says, I am the way. To everyone in this room that's looking for it in something else, he says, I am the way. You see, the reason this statement is one of the most controversial is because what Jesus does here is, is uh, Jesus claims exclusivity. He says, I'm it. 
in a world of many ways. And listen, our world today hates this, right? The world uh, that, that loves to prop up social justice warriors and heroes, listen, the world loves Jesus, the orphan lover. They love Jesus, the miracle man. But when Jesus says to a world of many ways that says that, man, there is, there, we're all at the bottom of this mountain with different paths to the top, to the summit, and at the top is God, Jesus says, no, 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 I'm the way. And he says, I'm not just here to show you the way. He says, I'm the way. And in fact, did you see what he says? He says, no one gets to the Father except through me. Here, church, I need to help you. I mean, make sure you understand this this morning, that there is no hope for anybody in this room seeing, seeing God unless you've come through Jesus Christ. And the way, that we, the way that we come through Jesus Christ, the way that we're covered by Christ is by faith. See, the Bible says that because all of us at some place in our lives have turned from the way to our ways, that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that the, the, the weight or the, the, the requirement, the penalty for the wage of that sin is death. And so there's a huge debt that stands between us and this chasm between us and God. And the only way to the Father, Jesus says, is through me. It's by faith. And so by, by bowing our knee before God and saying, Jesus, I know that you lived the life I could never live. I know that you went to the cross and died the death I deserved. I know that you didn't stay there, but you got out of the grave. And you're at the right hand of the Father now guaranteeing life for those who believe. If you're here and, you, and you've done that, you've believed that, or if you're not, there, listen, that's the only way. Is that we would stand before God, and if he sees us, we're in trouble. But man, if we stand before the Father and he sees Jesus Christ covering those who have believed, there's hope. He's the way. He's the way. But again, the world doesn't love that. They don't like when you draw lines in the sand. You see, the, the world... There's many ways right now people are pursuing. You go to Bangkok, people are bowing before idols today, believing that Buddha's the way. There's people in Islamic mosques around our area and around the world today believing that Allah is the way. There's people in churches, in Baptist churches, and good Bible-believing churches, believing that religious workmanship, that doing certain things is the way. To that, Jesus says, I'm the way. I'm it. I'm the way. And not only that, but he, he ups it a little bit. He says, I'm not only the way, but I'm truth. I am truth. I, I am the truth. So to a world that says there is no absolutes, there's no absolute truth. It's all objective. It's more about taste than truth. Jesus says, no, I'm the truth. So every one of us in this room have to deal with that statement. He either is or he isn't. There's no gray area. And man, if he is, if he is the truth, if Jesus is true, that also means that he is the way. Right? Because he, did, he said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. So there's no way apart from the way that Jesus said it is. And it's through him. But I think there's maybe some of you in the room this morning that are apprehensive uh, to, to, to believe that or to bow to that or to, to surrender to that because, because maybe, maybe you like your way. But listen, Jesus didn't only say, I'm the way, the truth. He said, I'm the life. I'm the life. Remember John's whole point in writing this gospel? He said, he wrote this so that we would see Jesus Christ, Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, and by seeing Jesus and believing in his name that we would have life. 
John 10, 10 says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you may have life and what? Have it abundantly. So here's the thing. Jesus is not only pointing to life, but he's pointing to abundant life now. So, so what many people in this world will never bow to, never believe in, they'll never go to Jesus as the way, never believe him to be absolute truth because they're, they're, they're satisfied or they're looking for satisfaction in their stuff, in their career, in just the, the accumulation of, of toys and, and all kinds of things that we, we, we try to track down to be our joy and satisfaction in the end. Those things leave you empty. And Jesus promised it would. He says, I'm the way, I'm the truth that leads to abundant life. So if you're looking for it in some image behind a cell phone screen, you're not going to find it. If you're looking for it in, in some uh, addiction or if you're looking for it in some, you know, uh, the pinnacle of your career, you're going to get there and you're going to have all the stuff and it's still not going to do. And he said it wouldn't. He says, I'm the way. One man uh, wrote about this, this claim of Jesus, why it was so, uh, why it's such a big deal. His name was John Stott. John Stott said, one of the most extraordinary things Jesus did in his teaching was to set himself apart from everybody else. For example, by claiming to be the good shepherd who went out to the desert to seek his lost sheep, he was implying that the world was lost and he wasn't. And that he could seek and save it. In other words, he put himself in a moral category in which he was alone. Everybody else was in darkness. He was the light of the world. Everybody else was hungry. He was the bread of life. Everybody else was thirsty. He alone could quench their thirst. Everyone else was sinful, and Jesus alone could forgive their sins. These, he says, are breathtaking claims. This is, one of, this is why this statement is so massive for us this morning. And, and so let me, let me ask you this question. If Jesus is truly the only way, if Jesus is the truth and the only way to life, how cruel would it be? How cruel would it be that we don't share that with everyone that we know? How cruel would it be that you kept it from a neighbor who believed that the way was through their job? But you knew the way. How cruel would it be that a coworker that you, had, you did life with, but you were so scared that they would look at you with disapproval or they would distance you from some social scene, that you, you kept the way from them? Listen, if this is true, if we believe this, then the most unloving thing we can do as parents is not tell it to our children again and again and again. The most unloving thing we can do as husbands is not show our wives that we believe it again and again and again. And the most unloving thing we can do as church people is tell the world that doesn't know Christ that he's the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus promises a place. He promises a path to get there. And finally, he promises power to us. In John 14, 12 through 17, this is what he says. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do. Because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. And the Father may be, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father. And he will give you another helper. Right? The Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the comforter as he's known, to be with you forever. 
Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. Look what it says here. This is incredible. For he dwells with you and will be in you. So Jesus didn't just say that he, he promises them to these disciples. Remember the context. He didn't just promise the disciples a, a, a place or a path. But he promises them a power, a present power. And he says something amazing. This is why we call this series greater. He says that you will do, Jesus will do greater works through you from heaven than he did while on earth. What do you think about that? What? No one in here would say, okay, we're going to be raising dead people out in the streets, right? We're going we're gonna to be multiplying bread at lunch this afternoon, right? Like, if so, tabs on you. Uh, it, we're, we're not going to be just going out, to, like last night, just stop the storm in its place. Like, that's not going to happen. That's not what he's saying. So that's not what he's saying. So what is he saying? What Jesus is saying is that because this is the way the Father has ordained it, that he will leave. And because he will leave, he'll go to be with the Father. He's going to send a helper. And it is in God's good plan that greater works will be done through you, through a surrendered believer, by the work of the Holy Spirit, than what happened while Jesus was on earth. He said, no way. Well, we saw it already. You remember the book of Acts? Jesus met with his disciples, and he dipped out, went and sat at the right hand of the Father. And then what happened? He told them to wait in Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere. I'm going to send you a helper. I'm going to send you power, and you will be my witnesses, right? And what happens? Peter, enabled, empowered by the Holy Spirit, preaches a sermon, and 3,000 people get saved. 3,000. Jesus had three-year earthly ministry. At the end of his life, you know who was around? 120. That's greater things. That's greater things. You see, Jesus' miracles were truly amazing. But the greater things that he wants to, that we're going to see him do through us are what the signs and miracles that he did his entire life pointed to. If you think about it, Jesus... Fed to 5,000. This was an unbelievable head-turning thing, right? But it was to show and demonstrate that they, they had a, a, a need for, for the bread of life. He, he raised Lazarus from the dead, something that, that turned heads and, and made the headlines in the news, right? But that was to show them and to bring attention to his command over life and death. You see, What Jesus is going to do from heaven through the surrendered body of Christ today is what the signs pointed to, right? That namely that lost people would be transferred from the darkness into light, that they would be brought from death to life. What his miracles pointed to, here's the, the most amazing thing, his miracles were signs and we get to participate in what the signs pointed to. We get to be a part of that. It's amazing. It's an amazing promise of the Lord. But what do we do with all this, right? I think that's the thing that almost every one of us are asking right now. Like, these are incredible promises. But again, you're going to hit the doors, hit the parking lot, and that problem's going to be there. You're going to go back home. You're going to get up tomorrow. You're going to be jobless. You're going to go home alone. Your kids still not picking up the phone. Marital strife still there. What do we do? Like, what do these promises 
really do at the ground level? Right? Like, it's cool to throw these big ideas, but what does it mean at the street? What does it mean when we get in a car? What does it mean there? Here's what I want to help you understand. These promises from Jesus towards his disciples, if you remember what's happening, he's telling them, I'm about to leave you. I'm about to leave you. And they're troubled because of that. And he gives them three promises to kind of lift their eyes up off of those troubles. Three promises. And here's what I want you to understand. One of those promises was not that their situation, again, was going to get easier. He was not talking about this calming that was coming, but more about a calling that he was, this greater calling, this greater thing to live and spend their life for. You see, every one of the disciples were about to lose their lives for the sake of the gospel. This promise from Jesus is not that your bills are going to be met. It's that as your life is poured out for the sake of Jesus Christ in your neighborhood, in your school, in your workplace, as your life is poured out, he's going to be with you and in you. You can look ahead at a day. There's a homecoming. There's a place prepared for you. It's a place that, listen, you may be going through cancer right now, and I, I can't even imagine the real pain you feel this morning. You may have lost a loved one or a child. I cannot imagine what you're feeling. But I know that Jesus does. Not only does he know it, but he's what he wants to do. He wants us to help us understand. I'm not promising you that he's going to bring someone back into your life or that you're going to get a job on Monday or that you're, you're going to have this plethora of, of financial gain over this next month or quarter. But what he is saying is as you walk through hell, heaven's going to be there with you. And there is this hope up ahead. I read something this week that was that was incredible. It says that uh, this hope, this biblical hope that Jesus is trying to give the disciples in, in the church uh, today is, is, is called, it's like faith on its tiptoes. I thought it was such a beautiful picture that, listen, like the hope that Jesus is trying to give them is, is the look up, the look up ahead. There's something very sure coming. Right? There is a home that he is, he is prepared. There is a way to get there. It's through Jesus Christ. It's the only way. There's, there is true abundant life now. Listen, there's abundant life now even when you think your life's out of, just, just spiraling out of control. There's life now, abundant life, life found in the Father. Life found in relationship with Jesus. And so it's faith on its tiptoes, not like, not like you're, you're watching your, your show live and you're just waiting for what's next. What's next? It's kind of like you DVR'd the game and one of your buddies texted you, told you the ending. Right? Like, it's like, man, I know what's coming. I know what the Lord is bringing. I know that there's a home prepared. I know that he is truth. I know that he's the way to life. I know that. And I also know that would have been enough. That, that alone would have been enough. But he said, as you're in the middle of trials, as your hearts are stirred up this morning, church, remember, I'm in you and I'm with you. I'm with you. So there's, there is a, there's a sense to this message that is a very comforting thing for us to hear this morning. That there is not a situation you've walked through or you're going to walk through that you don't even know yet. That there is not a, a source of greater hope for us to lift our eyes to. 
See, Jesus' promises are always greater than our problems. The problem for most of us, though, is that we don't see them. We don't think on them. We don't lift our eyes off of this to see this. But if, oh man, if we would see this. If we would see this. So there's a comfort available. There's a hope available. But there's also, I think, a missional component to this passage. Again, the disciples are about to pour their lives out for the gospel. They're about to die for the gospel. For the sake of something bigger, something greater. Let me ask you this morning, what are you living for this morning? What's the total summation of your life that you get up and punch a clock, go through this routine of trying to get your kids in 5,000 other places, feed them, get them in bed, sedate them if you have to, so you can do it again? Like, I know it's funny, but in all reality, like, what are you living for? You see, what's greater about this passage is that Jesus is trying to get the disciples to understand that, listen, guys, things are going to get tough, but it's worth it. Things are going to get tough, but it's worth it. What if this world, man, what, what if Stewart's Creek, what if the high school down the road or your workplace or wherever you, you find yourself, your neighbors, what if they would see a people that, listen, are going through the same things they are, but believe because they have a hold of these promises of God, there's something greater to live for. Man, and so they're going through cancer reports and, and job loss and loss of life and marital strain and things like that. But they're still praying their face off that people would be saved. They're still giving faithfully till it hurts. They're still going to the ends of the earth and spending their vacations and their spring breaks making sure that there is not a people who has not heard about the way, the truth, and life. What if they would see that? This is what Jesus is doing. He says, lift your eyes off of this. This is not home. There's something greater, church. It's in Christ. That's our hope. That's our hope. So whatever you're at since this morning, I pray that you would lift, lift up your eyes. Psalmist, I think, in Psalm 43 says, Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. Hope in God. That's my prayer for you this morning. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. Lord, I pray that, that Father, you would do a work uh, in, this, in these next moments, God. Only you can do. God, I know that there is a very real, um, God, there's a very real pain and there's real trials. And there's real issues and things that happen in life because of sin. Can't escape that, God. Sometimes, Father, I know that it seems like it comes in threes or waves. Or, Father, it just seems like we, we, we conquer this problem and then there's five more behind it, God. And, and man, I know that, that that's trying and that's painful, Father. And some of those things, again, have different degrees. And there's people in here that are really on the brink of walking away from this thing. Oh, but Jesus, I pray that they would see that this morning that not only do you get them, Father, do you hear them, but those who are in Christ, Father, you're with us. The same God who called Lazarus out of the grave, who stopped a storm in its, in its path, resides in the hearts and lives of believers. And Lord, you want us to open our eyes to this greater work that you're wanting to do through us, the church. And so God... Two things, Father. I pray that there would be comfort here found this morning. Freedom from addiction. Freedom from 
whatever it is that's binding them to, to step into true abundant life found in Jesus. And God, I pray that this morning, Father, that there would be those that are in this room that have never believed that. That God would open, that you would open their eyes to see you as the way, truth, and life. And they would surrender their lives to that and live their days, live all their days to glorify you and to see you lifted up to the ends of the earth. God, we love you. We need you in this moment. It's in your name we pray. Amen.